Good times. Good times. Well, you might have guessed who we're talking about or what we're talking about today as we continue our series, Angels and Demons. We're going to be looking at Satan and how he works and how he impacts our life. I, I, do, I do want to let you know, earlier this week, for a couple of days, I went with a couple other uh, guys from Velocity, and we went down. We're doing some hurricane relief in Wilmington. I'm not going to talk about that at all today. Um, I'm actually going to save that for next week. I'm going to show you some pictures and talk about that because it goes really well with what we're talking about next week. But I do want to let you know that as we have some dates and trips and, and ways that you can help out on our .info, velocitychurch.info, that if, if there's a different time that works for you or just going down on a weekend, we will get you connected with these organizations in New Bern or Wilmington. So if, if you have like a free Saturday or something, want to go help out, let us know and we'll make that happen. All right. So uh, it's, it's worthwhile. We'll talk about that uh, some more next week. Last week, we kicked off this series on spiritual warfare, and Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 is kind of our anchor verse for this series. It kind of sets the tone uh, very clearly and concisely for what we're talking about it and why it matters. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And here's the deal. It's, it's easy to say that evil is real. I think we can all agree on that to, to a certain degree until we go off like into the philosophical whirlpool or something like that. But evil is real. It's a little less easy, it's a little less concise and clear to explain how evil influences and impacts the spiritual world. And so there's all kinds of different clues that we look for, ways that we try to see, hey, how is Satan actually trying to influence, how does he try to use evil? And one of the very interesting experiences I had was growing up, I went to a small private Christian school for high school, and we had Bible class. Anybody have Bible class when you were in high school? It's kind of a, not a typical thing. And so we would talk about all kinds of different things. Uh, you're probably not surprised to know that I would uh, have conversations with my teachers, so a little bit of give and take on some finer points of theology. It's always fun to make your teachers a little uncomfortable, right? You remember that? It's, it's, it's kind of one of those things that you get to enjoy. But one of the experiences, I'll never forget this in Bible class that we had, is they showed us a video on backmasking. How many of you know what backmasking is? All right, when I described it in first service, people are a little bit more like, oh, that's what it is. All right, backmasking is listening. It's, it's when you listen to a song backwards and you hear some sort of hidden message or phrase or something like that. How many of you are familiar with that? You've heard of that? Okay, yeah, and more people. And it was kind of one of these things that came along in the 80s as kind of a, a, a fearful thing and, and it kind of resurged in the, in the 90s. And so we watched this guy who had a pretty mean mullet and a bushy mustache, and he was, he was explaining um, how to keep ourselves safe from listening to the devil's music, which of course is rock and roll. Did you guys know that? All right, so let me give you, you guys are already laughing about this. This is serious stuff, right? Okay, so let me give you, and just to contextualize this, this was during the Christian subculture era of, of youth groups getting together and having bonfires to burn their secular music. Anybody grow up in a youth group, then you probably know what I'm talking about. Okay, so now backmasking can be done intentionally, but the thrust of this video was more about the unintentional, you know, the ways in which Satan kind of uses music to give us subliminal messages to get us to do bad stuff. 
All right, so here's an example for you. How many of you have ever heard Queens, another one bites the dust? Okay. All right, so you got to be careful listening to that song because somewhere, if you listen to it backwards at the right speed, you will hear this phrase. It's fun to smoke marijuana. All right? So if you ever smoke marijuana, it's because Queen made you. I mean, that's the idea, is that if you hear this backwards, that somehow subliminally this is going to... There's no evidence that this is the case, but, but this was one of the fears, and maybe still, still is, that people had listening to you know, secular music. There were even laws that were uh, attempted to be passed in the 80s in California and Alabama to have a warning label, kind of like our explicit label on al- al- albums, to have a warming, warning label that said warning backmasking, you know, is, is on this, this album. So I don't know who the first person was that decided to listen to music backwards like this and discover this, but, you know, they were looking for maybe how Satan was influencing culture. Now, the thing that makes this tricky, however, is when you start to listen to Christian music backwards, too. And so have you ever heard of Mercy Me's I Can Only Imagine? Well, <laughs> oh, I mean, like that is the, they made a movie, right? I mean, so that's going to be the pinnacle. Well, just be, don't listen to it backwards because it will ruin the song for you. And I, I'm not even going to repeat the blasphemous phrases and words that exist in that song backwards. All right. So maybe that has more to do with how our brains are wired to see patterns and hear patterns, even when uh, they aren't really there, kind of like Jesus toast, Right. It's not really Jesus' face. Just, just get, out, get that out there if you didn't know. And, and here's the thing. When we treat evil like this, um, it, it kind of presents like there's, there's this blurred line between fiction and reality that we have to navigate and try to figure out. When the reality is um, that when we talk about the spir- spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, there's a, there's a real physical realm, there's a real spiritual realm that interact and impact and affect our lives. There is a real direct conflict, not just fiction and reality. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, starting in verse 2, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons, I think, I think Satan's trying to work on my mic here this morning. Uh, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And in this case, strongholds uh, refer to the arguments, the rationales, uh, the things that we use to try to explain our uh, opinions, our spurious ideas, and and defend it against against others. And uh, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And Paul is preparing the Corinthian church for his next visit as he prepares to instruct them and correct some of the false teaching and ideas that have kind of creeped into their worship and their study because he doesn't want them to see them led astray spiritually. And here's why. He explained this, explains this further down in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. 
I just want to point out the sweet, sweet sarcasm dripping there at the end of verse 4 from Paul there. You put up with it easily enough. I mean, he's just, that's a big zinger that he gives, that how we get, we tend to get led astray. In verse 3, Paul identifies how all the way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve represented humanity's greatest weakness that is exploited by the devil to keep us distant from God. Here's what it is. We, as human beings, we tend to reject what is authentic in favor of the counterfeit that tells us what we want to hear. That's, that's kind of our thing. That's what we do. In Genesis chapter 3, it's our first interaction with Satan. He's described as a crafty servant, serpent. Uh, he's described in this way in multiple other places in the Bible. And, and this is the famous Adam and Eve eating the apple. We don't know that it was actually an apple. And getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden story. If you don't know it, read Genesis chapter 3 this week. But like, let's be clear about something. There was no subtle, subliminal mind control going on here. Satan just simply blatantly says the opposite of what God said. He, he lies about the truth. And the issue in the place where, where Adam and Eve got, got pulled away in, in, in verse 6, Adam is with Eve. He just doesn't step up and like actually say anything because he didn't want to be a man at that point, I guess. Um, the adversary, he just says the opposite of what God says. And because it was already something that Adam and Eve wanted to do, that, that, was, that was the one thing they weren't supposed to do, is to eat that fruit and, and to try that out. And so that's the thing that they already wanted to do, and Satan gave them an excuse to be able to try it. When God asks them about it, their excuse is, I mean, this is where Flip Wilson gets it from, the devil made me do it. Like, it, it's, it's his fault. He twisted our arm and he put a gun to our head. Like, he made us eat the fruit, even though you told us not to do it. Listen, all of us will sin and fall short of the glory of God, but we've also been equipped to be victorious against our adversary. In James chapter 4, verse 7, we're told to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so we're going to be looking at what it looks like to resist the devil and how we can live out that victory that already exists as Christ followers. Here's what Sun Tzu says in The Art of War. It says, it is said that if you know your enemies and know yourself, you will not be imperiled in a hundred battles. If you do not know your enemies, but do know yourself, you will win one and lose one. If you do not know your enemies nor yourself, you will be imperiled in every single battle. So let's expose our enemy this morning. Let's understand ourselves a little bit better and how uh, Satan tries to use us against ourselves to keep us uh, distant from God. So the first thing is, who is Satan? Uh, in the Old Testament, the Bible refers to Satan as the Satan, Hasatan, the adversary, the accuser. This is the one, this is the being who opposes God. He's also called the devil, uh, which again means to slander or to, to accuse. In addition to other less frequently used descriptors, he's called the tempter, he's called the deceiver, and he's called the liar and the father of lies. He's described as pretending to be an angel of light in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Uh, you may uh, have heard Satan referred to as Lucifer. Uh, that is a, that's actually not in the text in Isaiah chapter 14. It's a Latin construct. And uh, so anyway, and, th and that passage actually refers to the king of Babylon in, in, in that area. But, but still, the connection is made there that Satan pretends to be someone who, he takes truth out of context, like that's his thing. So he pretends to be an angel of light, but he's actually a fallen angel. He's one of God's created beings of the spiritual realm that chose to reject him, and the demons are fellow angels that chose to be subservient and go along with Satan. 
they're Satan's messengers. They're not ghosts of the deceased, you know, in, in any of the other ways that we've tried to describe them or think about them in pop culture. Like, that's not what they are. They're fallen angels. Um, I can send you verses uh, for that. They interact and impact the physical world from the spiritual realm. But here's what we need to keep in mind. They're created beings who have finite influence. Satan is not all-powerful. Satan is not all-present. He's not all-knowing. He's very directly limited by God to his influence and impact on our lives in the spiritual world. So Satan can't make us do anything. He can't force us into anything in this life. He is limited by our sovereign Lord. So in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell... Uh, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. They're limited by God. In Jude, chapter, in Jude verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Satan and his demons work in tandem to oppose God and keep us separated him from him by manipulating the truth through deceit, temptation, and oppression. And while, while they're limited... You know, uh, through their influence on, on our lives, we've already kind of proven as human beings through the garden that we're really not that great at defending ourselves from his attacks. We don't fight the battle well on our own. We can all think of times that we've lost the battle. We can all think of times where we've known the good that we ought to do and still for some reason we're kept from doing it or we kept ourselves from doing it. And we all can think of those moments where we just didn't care, and we chose to get, give in to what we already knew was evil and already knew was broken because in the moment, the lie gratified us. Paul acknowledges this battle that we face in Galatians chapter 5, and verse 17. He says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. We typically don't read that verse in particular because we're, uh, we're looking to the verses that come after that that talk about the fruit of the Spirit because they sound a lot nicer and because those are the things that we know that we're supposed to produce in our lives. But the why God calls us to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is, is because when we do whatever we want, like that's what gets us in trouble in this life. Choosing what you want over what God wants is the invitation for evil to win in your life. Like that, that is the thing. When Paul says you're not to do whatever you want, it's because he knows that the spiritual battle isn't about Satan making you do something, but drawing out what we already desire to do in our broken hearts and minds. In James chapter 1, verse 13, he writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. All right, so there's, there's so much more that could be said about Satan and his demons, but suffice it to say, the way that Satan works, knowing our enemy, is that he distorts the truth to tempt us with our desires and to oppress us with our fears. So we know our enemy, we know his methodology, now we need to know ourselves and how he works against us. And there are three, Satan has a three-pronged attack. And I just want to point 
I just want to point this out. The three-pronged attack is there's kind of a subtle cleverness to that there because Satan doesn't carry around a pitchfork, but it's like three prongs. Do you get it? You like that? No? Yeah, first service didn't enjoy it either, so that's all right. <laughs> Renee said it was dumb, but I, I, I used it anyway. And so here are the three ways. The first thing is the body. I just want to acknowledge something. I get, I get, I get that in our secular westernized culture that when we start using words like possession and oppression when it comes to demons and demonization and Satan, like we get a little freaked out by that because it's not something that we observe or many of us have experienced and so we just kind of think it must not exist because you know, everything that's real only happens in our little bubble of life experience. A little bit of sarcasm there, but not too much. And here, here's what I would want to share with you about this. If I could afford to take you with me and show you um, some of the places that I've been around the world on mission trips and some of the things that I've seen and experienced uh, that would broaden your worldview when it comes to this, I, I would do that. I, I would want you to see those things, not because I want you to experience real possessive and oppressive evil in your life, but just so you know, like this, we're talking about real stuff here that impacts our lives. There are two places uh, in, in my life where I have felt the physical effect of oppressive evil. I've looked into a person's eyes who has opened themselves up to spiritual evil in, intentionally and seen the impact and the result of that. And I'm not saying, I mean, that's my experience, and I'm not saying you need to go based on that. Um, I mean, Scripture is very clear about one of the main things of Jesus' ministry was exercising demons, uh, and, and, and so maybe you can take on faith and, and trust in that. But the evil from the, evil from the spiritual realm has real implications for physical lives, our bodies. Here's, here's just one area. The physiological impact of your mental and emotional state on your body is a real thing. That's something that we can study and observe. The enemy will seek to use these things to oppress you. Because you think about, like, when you're not feeling well and things aren't, aren't going well, you think about how that takes your attention off the things that you know you need to be focused on. And I'm not saying that's the case every single time you have a cold and have a sniffle. Like, sometimes it's because you were dumb and didn't put a jacket on, right? But, but sometimes Satan can use those things to oppress you. As a Christian indwelt with the Holy Spirit, there's no room for anyone else, but Satan will use the physical world to try to break you down. And so as a Christ follower, like, let, let me be clear about something, because there's some misconception a, a, about this, particularly when it comes to um, mental health, for example. So uh, just, just one example. If you are depressed, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, that Satan has taken you over, that a demon has possessed you as, as a Christ follower, but if, if you buy into the lie that your depression comes because of a, I, I don't know, for in that moment you just have this lack of faith and if you just believe more then you'd be fine and that's the, like the perfect uh, fix, f fix for everything, like that's the fear that he wants you to buy into. It's the lie that the deceiver wants you to be consumed with. So, so those are the ways in which Satan will use that. Here, here's the second area. There are people who have been and are possessed which is something that anyone without God's truth and dwelt in them can open themselves up to. And 
I, I get that there's a Hollywood imagery that might come to your mind for what that looks like, but understand that there's a need to be equipped with the armor of God and prayer in order to help those who are impacted by the evil in the spiritual realms in this way. If there seem to be unnatural influences in your life or there seems to be that nagging voice, not that there's an angel, we have shoulder angels and demons in our life, but you hear that voice that's telling you you're not enough, that you're not pretty enough, that you're not successful enough, that you don't have meaning in your life. Like these are the ways in which the enemy tries to convince us to be distant from the truth that God has for us as Christians. And that is that you are loved and that you're a child of God and that Jesus, uh, Jesus has set you free from his death, burial, and resurrection. This, isn't, uh, this conversation is not meant to produce fear in the lives of us as Christians. It's simply about being aware of the spiritual reality that surrounds us. So if you want to read some more about that, you can check out Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. Um, even in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, Paul is talking about how to not let anger uh, be something that consumes us, to not go to sleep while we're still angry, because those th- types of things give the devil a foothold in our life. All right? So there you go. The first thing is the body. The second attack is the will. Satan attacks our wills through temptation. And here's why you need to understand yourself well when it comes to this. We all have somewhere we shouldn't go. We all have someone we shouldn't be with. And we all have something that we shouldn't be doing. All of us, somewhere along the line, have those things. And those are the areas in which Satan wants to lead you. The accuser, he, he wants to be your accuser. He wants, you, he wants you to head in that direction so he can point to you and say, See, God, like this, this person is not deserving of your grace and mercy because look of how they lived your life. And yet God gives us the advocate who wants to draw, away, draw us away from those things to run the other direction. And that's how we deal with temptation in our will. Like this is not about us becoming strong enough in our faith so that we can go where we're not supposed to be or do what we're not supposed to do or be with the person we're not supposed to be with and still be strong and stay faithful in the midst of that. It's, it's for us to run the other direction. It's, it's to not be there in the midst of that. And that, that's how God works. Uh, through us and in our lives. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, uh, you put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live. This is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What Satan would have us run to, the Holy Spirit helps us run from. And the more we actually walk in and practice righteousness, the stronger we will be. And this brings us to the third attack. And this, uh, to me, this is the most important. This is the one that, that matters the most. And that's the mind. If you've never read C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, let me recommend that to you as a uh, work of fiction uh, that is short, uh, that is concise, but also will produce, I think, a number of aha moments for you when it comes to how the enemy works uh, against us and tries to keep us distant and separate from God. The book is, uh, or basically each chapter is a letter that Screwtape, who is a demon, is mentoring his nephew, uh, Wormwood, on how demons and how Satan works uh, when it comes to uh, drawing us away from God. And so here's, here's just one example of an aha moment uh, from this. So Screwtape is writing to Wormwood, and this is what he says. It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Now, I, I know some folks, I can think of some folks that, 
that methodology is working really well on them. Can we chuckle about that? Is that right? No, I can't say that. All right. But here, here's, here's Satan's greatest tool and his greatest weapon against us. Satan's, Satan's greatest weapon is willful ignorance of the truth. That's the thing. He's a liar. He doesn't want you to follow the truth. He doesn't want you to know the truth. He doesn't want you to pay attention to the truth. And in a soundbite culture where we condense a social issue into a 30-second video clip and a political stance into a meme and a belief into a verse taken out of context on a pretty background, he doesn't need all that much help. And let, let's make the father of lies work just a little bit harder, harder than that. He wants us to be disunified. He wants us to be tribal. He wants us to be in our own echo chambers of life because that keeps us from the truth, because it keeps us thinking that we are each other's enemy instead of him being the enemy. The more truth becomes subjective, the more it doesn't matter anymore. It might be the long con, but man, it's working out great in our culture. How we feel about something begins taking over how we think, and before long we find ourselves just being reactive, kind of doing what we feel in the moment rather than being proactive with our lives. Another way to think about this is how pre prevalent a motivated reasoning has become. Do you know about this? Have you heard that phrase before? You need to know it, especially if you use the Internet. You need to know about motivated reasoning or watch the news. Here's what motivated reasoning is. Rather than search rationally for information that either confirms or disconfirms a particular belief, people actually seek out information that confirms what they already believe. And so that's, I mean, that's just like one area of our life that's out here, but li listen to how it, it affects everything when it comes to our relationship with God and how we're called to live our lives. When we find ourselves not knowing what God's truth is and what his word says, or just simply ignoring it and not caring to study it and, and discover what it says, we make ourselves an easier and more malleable target for the deceiver. That's what he wants. He just doesn't want you to know your Bible. It's a big part of it. In the New Testament, we're warned against false teaching constantly. Paul warns that those who perish from the enemy's attacks, or worse yet, end up finding themselves helping them, are those who fail to love God's truth. And so here is the thing. Here is your takeaway. Here's how you know how you can resist Satan, his demons, and his oppression on your body, will, and mind. Romans 12, chapter 2. Write this verse down. Put it on your mirror. Memorize it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Know your Bible. Live it out. Trust its message trust its method. From the beginning, Satan has operated with a clear methodology, lie about the truth. Undermine and undercut your faith. Because we know that about our enemy, may what Paul says of the Romans be said of us. In Romans chapter 16, verses 19 and 20, he says, everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So we know Satan's clear methodology. God has also used a very clear methodology from the beginning of time, and that is truth conquers the lie. Because we know that, may we trust in Jesus. May we trust in how we've been called to live and walk in righteousness and put on the armor of God.
This is how, we talked about this last week, this is how we live out the victory that we know that has already been won. See, all the way back, even in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we know that God had already, like the gospel is already there at the beginning as well. Satan is there, he's got this influence, it may seem like, oh man, Satan kind of won for Satan because he got Adam and Eve to eat the apple, that wasn't an apple. It, you know, he got, got into sin, so he must have won something there. Even then, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Satan looks looks at the ser- I mean, God looks at the serpent and he says, one day, one of the descendants of Adam and Eve, they're going to come along and you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. And in that moment, God is talking about the gospel. He's talking about Jesus coming, winning the victory, destroying Satan's hold over us, limiting his power. At best, he has a finite influence over us. And when we trust in that, when we believe in that, we do what God's word says, when we know the truth, that will set us free from the enemy's attacks. From the beginning, God has had the gospel in mind. From the beginning, he knew we would fail, and he still gave us the victory. That was his plan all along through Jesus. That's one of the reasons every week at Velocity we celebrate communion with each other because we are remembering the fact that God promised, not like just 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised again, and the enemy thought that he won because Jesus died, but that really is what enabled the victory to be ushered in, is that even from the beginning, God had had this plan for you and for me that despite our sin, despite the enemy, um, that we can live free lives, victorious lives when we know his truth. Let's pray. God, we ask that um, you show us uh, where there might be oppression on our body, our, our uh, wills, and our minds. And uh, God, I ask, I ask that you uh, give us the encouragement and strength to, to know your truth, to be reminded of the truth we already know through your Holy Spirit, but also uh, to, to love your word. Uh, to want to discover it, uh, to want to study it, to want to read it so that we can know it, so that we can be free. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to have this type of godly perspective in the face of evil's influence on our life. God, we thank you for the limited power that our enemy has, um, that not only have you already won the victory, uh, but did you continue to keep us uh, free and safe. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we ask this all in his name. Amen.